0: Broncos All-Decade Tackle Orlando Franklin Two-time All-Pro Linebacker Chad Brown
1: Former Broncos tight end and New York Times best-selling author Nate Jackson 104.3 The Fan welcomes you into the Players Club What up, players? It's the players Club Doing what players do? What do players do? Awesome things. Play. Play. What are some of the games they play? Oh, my goodness. What are some of the games that players play? It's a long list. Um, How
2: much time do we have?
1: Two hours. (laughs) We're back to the two-hour format here on the Players Club. Orlando Franklin not here today. He's going to be joining DMAC on the drive later. So tune in to those dudes. But you got these dudes, these players. Two-thirds of the Players Club chopping it up about what the players do. Awesome things. All right. Um, So yesterday was Russell Wilson's best practice as a Denver Bronco. (laughs) Right. We heard that. Right. Yep. Um. So one of my actually this was an old teammate of yours, Ronnie Bradford. Okay. Rb. Yes. Yes. Rb was um the um special teams coordinator Mm -hmm. for us. What were you about to say about Rb?
2: Rb uh, blocked the extra points in the national championship game in the Orange Bowl. Wow. I do not have a ring with number one and diamonds on it without RB.
1: Well, he was a coach of mine. When I first got here in 2003, he was the assistant special teams coach. Frank Bush Frank Bush was the special teams coordinator. He went on to be a defensive coach somewhere else, and RB took over. And one thing he would always tell us is don't get too high and don't get too low. True. And, and that's something we hear from a lot of people. You know, it's act like you've been there or – don't read the news your own newspaper clippings or stop smelling your own you know what <laughs> right and so i wonder you know because everyone's been real hard on russell right really hard on russell if a if a if a if a narrative because you know russell pays attention to the narratives like that he's turned the corner that everything's good now that that everything's fine now would affect a guy like russell because uh, you don't want him to read the clippings, you don't want him to start smelling his own. You know what you want him to stack days, but you don't want him to feel like what D said yesterday, right? That this is the best practice he's ever had as a Bronco. Dude, would you be worried at all about the psyche of your players paying attention to the media in that regard?
2: If my players are talking like we talk in the media and therefore thinking like we think in the media that somehow you have arrived, you've never arrived in the NFL. Um, I was listening to Mark and Mike this morning and they were talking to Adam Schefter and I was thinking in my head, what would I be asking Adam Schefter? We have focused so much on the Broncos. They do play other teams. They do play teams <laughs> in the AFC West. that are yeah. all very good. Yeah. So while you know it's important to ask questions about the Broncos because we're at that phase of training camp, but at some point it, when we get a national person like Adam on or whoever the case may be, hey, tell me about the Chiefs. Tell me about the Chargers. Tell me about the Raiders. Because while Russell Wilson is improving and having his best practice ever, maybe Patrick Mahomes is having his best practice ever. So you're you're saying they're not standing still? They are not standing still. They're not like, we're good enough. No. We don't need to get better. The Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes have not, they're not thinking that they have arrived. They got this whole thing figured out. Andy Reid is just like, you know what? My playbook from last year, that's good enough. No modifications here we go again, same thing, run it back. No, no one's arrived. So if you begin to think like that, you are setting yourself up for a massive failure. So while we can talk about that, hopefully Russell Wilson or anybody on the Broncos never gets into that narrative.
1: Well, to your point about, you know, the constant evolution of the of the sport and everybody always getting better and finding out what they're doing wrong and changing their game. Tyreek Hill left the Kansas City Chiefs last year and they and, and their offense changed. Mm-hmm. The previous four seasons 2018 to 20, 2021, Patrick Mahomes was number one in the league in touchdowns of 25 or more air yards with 34, okay? Last year, he was 26, tied for 26 in the league with one. Their offense is evolving. Mm-hmm. This is about short, quick passing and letting your guys run with the ball or just picking up the first down and taking what the defense gives you. When you're talking about the AFC West, clearly the Chiefs are um the big bad wolf in this division. What about the Chargers? What about the Raiders? Are you worried? Because last year we had a bet, a sushi bet, and I got fed, Chad.
2: And I fed the heck out of you. You did. And give me some credit there. You did. It I was... didn't just kind of kind of fulfill the bet. I I hooked you up.
1: You did, um, man. I, I mean, I, I've never had those sort of tastes in my <laughs> mouth before, with the, in the sequence that you ordered them, Chad. It was very special. You should teach a class. Yes. On that, but the but the origin of that bet was I thought that either the Raiders or the Chargers would finish under 500. Mm -hmm. And you said no chance because you had faith in Josh McDaniels.
2: (sighs) Burn me again.
1: Burn me again, Josh. Do you think he's going to figure it out now that he's got Jimmy, (sighs) that he's got a little, you know, a little, a little sameness there. They they, they understand what he expects now.
2: No, I'm not going to get burned again by Josh McDaniels. The Raiders are the fourth best team in this division and uh my 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 Joshie love is uh, it's probably over forever really yeah nothing he Can't can do, do it. uh i think he'll be i got to assume he'll be better this year now you got you know a quarterback that's you supposedly wanted this has always been an issue everywhere he he's gone can be friends with the quarterback so hopefully it'll be better there's some talent there uh in, in oakland Josh Jacobs if he reports and they vegas if they get him going um, there's some talent at the wide receiver position, clearly. Um, but, yeah, I, I cannot put you my faith. You arguably
1: have the best running back and the best receiver in the league. Arguably, yeah. And you dealt one of the best tight ends.
2: I can't put my faith in Josh, though. I just can't do it again. Been barred too many times.
1: All right, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the trouble is in that Raiders locker room, they're probably telling each other the same thing. Because when he stands up in front of them and talks, when they see that what he did, look, he took over for Rich Pisaccio. Yep who was the man uh-huh. over there. He was a special teams coordinator. Berupt, yes. Everyone loves a special teams coach, right? Mm-hmm. Typically, not always, but if you are beloved, beloved, then everybody's beloved, beloved.
2: Either one, I think, in this case.
1: But Riz Bissaccia took over during a tum- tumultuous year for the Raiders and got them to the playoffs, and they all loved them, and they all went through a lot together, and then they canned him, and they hired Josh, and it was just uh, a big bummer for everyone in that locker room, and he proceeded to dismantle it. And send out some of the leaders in that locker room. So interesting to see if he'll get his act together, but that's the first game of the year. So what a better way to start off the 2023 season than to whoop up on the Raiders here at home in Sean Payton's first game as a Broncos head coach. Speaking of Sean Payton, he had some interesting things to say about Russ's best practice ever. And it's great that we have a head coach to keep things in perspective. That's next.
0: VIP entry into The Players' Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate
1: Jackson. Stepping up.
0: Steppin up.
3: Steppin' up. Steppin'
1: up. For the RamosLaw.com text line, Nate, you don't sound anything close to Sean Payton. You should just stop while you can. Yeah. What? No. There's this one person who just hates when I... When I do impressions, listen, look, relative to Sean Payton at the podium, there are players, we keep an eye on them, and we're not going to tip. Look, when we, how was that, Chad? That was perfect. (laughs) This is awesome. Dude, today at Broncos headquarters, they're doing a walkthrough, Chad. They're doing a Mm walkthrough of sorts, and they're getting on an airplane today. It's a business trip. Hopefully it's a little more of a jog through. Why They play the tomorrow. They play tomorrow. Why? They've been they've been pounding
2: pounding ass. <laughs> Don't use that phrase again. They've been they've been beating each other up, man. To pound his ass. Uh, they've been working hard, Chad. They have been working hard. But on uh you know, the practice I saw, uh gosh, was that just yesterday? No, that was uh Tuesday. Whatever the case may have been. Even when they were in full pads, they had several periods that were walk through jog through periods. So this is not uh, the pounding ass that you and I remember (laughs) from back in the day. It's a little bit different schedule. So because it is still preseason, because it is still training camp, uh, you know, maybe there's still something to be accomplished by a a slightly higher tempo than walkthrough. Because walkthrough... Uh, a lot of times the brains are, are are half paying attention. If it's a jog through, at least you're mostly engaged just to keep these guys on the edge a little bit. Just if I were the coach, that's what I would do well, through training camp. There wouldn't be a walkthrough except for the walkthrough on Friday morning before the game. Thursday, yeah, we're still trying to accomplish things in practice. We're gonna go for a faster pace.
1: Alright, we gotta parse these words a little bit though, because we used to call it a walkthrough. Yeah. And we weren't walking. True.
2: We were jogging. And now but we've seen what a walkthrough looks like. It's literally a walkthrough nowadays. Guys are out there in flip flops. They were literally walking? I've seen guys. Well, there was a jog through on Tuesday.
1: Right. Yes. At practice. At practice.
2: In full pads. I would
1: imagine that that's what it more, you know, maybe they don't go into full pads. Maybe they have hats on or whatever. Right. But they're going to they're gonna put on some regular footwear and jog through these positions.
2: I hope so. I've just seen walkthroughs and flip flops and I'm just like, what does this have to do with football? What are we doing? What are you doing?
1: That was Sean Alexander,
2: you said. It was. Back in the day. I wasn't a fan of that. MVP of the NFL. I had to go to Coach Holmgren. I was like, I know this guy's special and important, but he's got to put on proper footwork for practice, Coach. This is insane. Did Coach tell him? Uh, Things picked up uh, about a week or two after that. (laughs) Did he know that you were the origin of the complaint? Uh, (laughs) Did he know that you were the the team Karen? I wasn't the only one because I voiced my displeasure uh, for weeks before that, before I went to Coach Holmgren. Like, what is this dude doing, man? He's in flip-flops. This is practice. Did you ever say anything? What's
1: going on? Did you ever say anything to him, or would you feel comfortable doing
2: that? Uh, I did say something to him early on, and he shrugged me off. And I thought, okay, okay, all right, young fella.
1: Oh, he was young. You were, the, you were the.
2: Oh the older veteran, and he shrugged it off. He shrugged me off. What a jerk.
1: Yeah, you
2: got to have everybody on the same page. Uh you know, Sean was feeling very good about himself.
1: Sean um, Payton, yes, is not going to allow that kind of shenanigans.
2: If he's not going to allow bucket hats and Gilligan hats on the sidelines, then I don't think he's going to allow flip-flops during a
1: practice.
2: Well, they got
1: a game tomorrow. There's it's, it's no more practice time. I mean, there's still a lot of important practices, but there is a game tomorrow against the Arizona Cardinals. Here is Sean Payton talking about what he hopes to see from Russell Wilson tomorrow.
0: Well, the same thing I'm hoping to see out of the rest of the starters. You know, you want to get in there. You want to see clean execution, timing, timing. You know, most importantly for the quarterback is, you know, you're moving the ball and giving yourself a chance to score. And I think that'll be important for everyone, not just him.
1: Timing. It's about the timing, isn't it? With, with the Sean Payton precision offense, it's about everyone being where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be there. These receivers, <laughs> receivers, receivers, receivers turn around. The ball's right there. The quarterback hitting his, his back step and throwing, not waiting to see if it's going to be open, but trusting it's going to be open and delivering it on time.
2: As a guy who played in NFL offenses, break it down to me. Are there offenses where timing is no. not as critical? No, absolutely. But, but in the, within the West Coast system overall, though, timing and placement on the field are at a premium more than, say, a deep ball oriented offense where, you know, the receiver catches the ball 30 yards downfield or he catches it 50 yards downfield versus yeah. the West Coast where. You know, that in-cut is supposed to be at 13 yards, and the quarterback is supposed to hit the receiver on his inside number. Not his outside number, his inside (laughs) number. And that's how things are taught in this system. Break that down for us.
1: Well, so, you know, you're talking about a deep ball and the ability to change the trajectory of your throw based on, you know, the position of the receiver. Does he have him beat? Did I have to, you know, buy some time in the pocket? For example, you could throw more of a laser deep ball or a rainbow deep ball and that takes care of the timing aspect a little bit, right? Right. But on a short pass, a three-step drop on a, on a quick, like a hitch or a slant or um, a flat route, you can't throw a rainbow on that. Right. It has to be on a line and it has to be on time because the defenses these days are keeping everyone in front of them, but they're closing on things incredibly fast. These guys are really smart. And once they see that you're sticking your foot in the ground, they're going to stick their foot in the ground. And so... When you turn around, that ball better be there. If it's not, if you have to wait for it, the longer you wait, the more likely a DB is going to undercut that thing and either knock it down or take it to the house. Mm-hmm. And if the quarterback's not hitting that foot and throwing right away, it makes that very likely. Um, you know, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks threw the ball more than anybody else in the NFL last year. But it's a little bit of a misnomer because of the way they use the quick pass game. They can use the quick pass game as a form of a running game to stretch the defense horizontally, not just vertically. It's about getting the ball out of your hands quickly and getting it to a guy in some space who can I, take advantage of those lanes. Another really important reason why you do timing and quickness with to your to your to your pass concepts is to give a guy the ball with some room in front of him to make some somebody miss. Yep. And we've seen yak yak, right? Mm-hmm, yards so, have to catch. And so the quarterbacks who have a really quick release, who have a good arm, they, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Josh Allen and Joe Burrow and those guys, they can get it out of their hands really quick. And obviously, Patrick Mahomes, but that's what we want to see out of Russell, you know? But but he's not the traditional stature of one of these quarterbacks. He's under six feet tall, right? He has a different skill set. So to me, the skepticism surrounding Russ is can he learn to do those things that are required of a quarterback as he gets older and, and the, the ones that keep you clean? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm. Yeah, makes sense. All right, so um Corlin Sutton also had a really good day of practice yesterday. And it's not just about Russell Wilson, right? The, the, the precision and timing of passing routes is about your receivers being in the right place as well, about them snatching the ball. We've seen Corlin Sutton over the last couple of years underwhelm a little bit, and he um, he agreed with that. Um, here is Corlin Sutton talking about changing up his offseason routine to get himself in better playing shape. You know, I had a little routine
0: that I, was, I used to do, and wasn't seeing the results that I wanted to see. So I changed up a little bit, and you know, I've been I've been seeing you know some changes. And, you know, I feel my body feels good, body mind feels good, everything feels good.
1: Body and mind feeling good. Corlin Sutton, the most physically imposing, I would say, receiver on this team. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, the biggest ceiling out of anybody on this team. Still, still, okay, still. because. Because because of his physicality. Mm-hmm. So Jerry Judy, to me, as skilled as he is, um, is never going to be the contested catch guy. He's never going to be the guy who, you know, on third and six, on a slant where he's covered, you still go to him because you know he's going to wedge his body in between there and make the play. Corlin Sutton has that ability. In 2019, he went to the Pro Bowl, the 50-50 balls. He owned those moments. Jerry Judy's not a 50-50 ball guy either. You know, because it is about body control and wedging your body up there, and and how high you can jump, how strong you are, how long your arms are, what your catch radius is. To me, Corlin Sutton's catch radius is the biggest on this team. Mm-hmm. True, and so that's a guy you gotta you gotta rely on. Mm-hmm. Similar body type to Michael Thomas, NFL
2: record holder for most receptions in a season. You see where I'm going with this, the slant God, slant God. Yes, does Corlin Sutton Half- have that in him to be the slant God? That type of uh, fierce, cause you gotta be fierce. Cause when you, if, you, if you're slant, then it means you're running into some dangerous territory. There's linebackers and safeties in there. Yeah. If you're the slant guy, you have to be, uh, fearless. You've also got to have the ability to catch the ball in traffic. You've got to be able to catch the ball, hold on to it, cause you're gonna get rocked. You're gonna get at rocked least, at least once a game. Boom. Yes.
1: You gotta love that, man.
2: Does he have that though? I think he does. Okay.
1: I believe he does. And I believe that this new coaching staff is unlocking that in him. Rediscovering
2: like a like a video game, like up up down down. You got to unlock the
1: secret skill set. Yeah, but you only did a couple of them. What is the what are the rest? Up
2: up down down left left right right. And, that, sorry, I don't know. There's 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 so many that's of them.
1: Nerd stuff. This is Contra, Johnny. Have you ever played Contra? No, no, no
2: dude. I was born in 1994.
1: <laughs> two two. <laughs> I'm here. What system was it on? Nintendo. The
3: original one. Yes. Oh yeah, I never played. I first played 64. Uh,
1: up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A, B-A, select, start. If you want two-player. If you want one player, you don't have to press select. Just go start with it. Wow.
2: 30 lives. How many lives does Corlin Sutton have? Well, he's got to do something this year so he can have another life as a Denver Bronco.
1: Hopefully he hits that up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A, B-A, select, start. Um, so he can have a partner out there. Him and Jerry Judy taking on. <laughs> Taking on the bad guys, and the bad guys are the Raiders on September 10th. All right, guys. Um Andrew Mason. He's traveling today. He's gonna join us a little bit early, and we have a lot of questions to ask him about camp, about where the Broncos are, about what to expect in tomorrow's game. Andrew Mason joins us next. You've been admitted VIP entry into the Players Club with
0: Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. Good
1: God, it's
0: a <laughs> Cut up the blank.
1: Working on Andrew Mason. It's a hard guy to get a hold of, you know. He's a mover and a shaker, that Andrew Mason. He's a man about town. He's a guy you gotta wait in line to talk to sometimes. <laughs>
2: mace you gotta love mace man uh in the market for a long time is his, his bronco history and knowledge is uh, maybe second to none
1: fun fact about mace when i was a denver bronco i was sent over to nfl europe and they asked me to write a weekly journal for the denver bronco website and guess who my editor was mace mace nice mace was like my first editor that is awesome. And when you're a writer, man, it, the editor really, really oh, matters. So critical. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I, I've written articles and you send them away and they just want to chop it up and butcher it and tell you to change everything about it. Andrew Mason was not that guy. He, he allowed my voice to uh, to come through. He allowed me to work on my voice. And I go back and read some of that stuff and I'm like, wow, I wish you would have chopped some of it <laughs> up. It was a little bloated. You know, there's an old saying, Chad, and it's, it, it's something like this. I would have made it shorter. But I didn't have time.
2: Short writing is a special, special skill set to be able to communicate your thoughts uh, with the, the fewest of words. I have such an appreciation for folks who do that. You know, on my company websites, I always complain my customers don't read. So whenever my staff is writing copy, it's like you got to make it as short as possible because okay. people, don't, people don't read anyway. Right. You give them a wall of words, they're definitely not going to read that. We need about, if you can distill a whole page into three bullet points, that's what we need to do.
1: Isn't it funny how far we've come um, when this country was first created? They distributed early copies of the Constitution to the people, the citizens, to have them read it over and discuss it and figure out how they felt about that. How does Andrew Mason feel about the U.S. Constitution and the Denver Broncos? We're only going to ask him one of those uh, scenarios. We're welcomed by Andrew Mason. We wel- we welcome c- senior Broncos writer Andrew Mason, denversports.com. On the Johnson Auto Plaza hotline, Andrew um, okay, so much has been made about this depth chart um, that the Broncos had to put out. Probably the most interesting part of it for me is the tight end, and and Adam Troutman seeming to gain some traction as the most complete tight end in the room. Sean Payton did say, though, that there's going to be a role for all these guys. Uh,
3: talk a little bit about that tight end room and how it's shaping out. I mean, I mean Troutman's the best all round tight end. Uh, but I mean, he's not the best blocker. That's Chris Manhertz. He's not the best pass catcher. That would be Greg Dulcich at this point, but the default is that player who can be on the field and not tip your hand as to the potential intent of the play by his presence in the huddle. Um, but that being said, I mean, it seems like, uh, there's going to be some situational use and some matchup use of the tight ends. And, uh, even right now, the depth chart there is pretty dynamic because, you know, for example, uh, the biggest uh, pass play to a tight end that Russell Wilson had in yesterday's practice was Tommy Hudson, and he's down there listed on the sixth team. So, I mean, not the sixth team, but he's number six tight end. So they're still doing a lot of shuffling and uh, moving and, and moving those tight ends around to kind of figure out, okay, who fits what role and who are we going to carry into the regular season.
2: All right, Mace, you've been around the Broncos for a long time been around football for a long time last night I got in a YouTube wormhole with Mike McDaniels and his funny press conferences, but I saw a press conference where he spent about 6 or 7 minutes talking about how much he hates the first depth chart of training camp, how much uh, emphasis should we put on this depth chart that was released yesterday how real are some of these slottings give me uh, Mace's thoughts on that
3: I mean, it It depends on the the, the position group. I mean, I think uh, for tight end, for example, maybe you don't want to read too much into it, kind of uh, what I mentioned earlier. But then you you look on uh, the defensive line, for example, and you see Jonathan Harris there on the first team. That's pretty legit based on how we've seen them used. And, yes, there has been some shuffling there, but more often than not when you've been in uh, base, you've seen Jonathan Harris up there. Uh, you know, with DJ Jones and, and Zach Allen, so I think it's one of those things where it's you know the answer is kind of in the gray area. It's not black or white, one way or the other. One size fits all for uh, for for every position group.
1: Andrew, you're uh, you're on your way to a preseason football game. You've attended a lot of preseason football games in your career covering the Broncos. What is your most memorable preseason game ever? I know that's a tough question. Do you have one?
3: Oh, uh, prob- okay. It, it's not covering it. Um, it's probably when I was 11 years old, and um, we had moved to Tampa, and we got season tickets to the, the Bucks, and they had the number one draft pick that year, Vinny Testaverde, a quarterback. And I mean, I'm 11, like, you know, you're, you're at that age, everything's still kind of bigger than life, right? And um, the thing I remember is that they put the, you know, Testaverde, the number one overall pick, supposed savior of the franchise, In they put him in the fourth quarter. They were down 31-10, and they, they came back, and if not for an extra point, they would have tied the game and gone to overtime. But the crowd was so excited, they gave him a standing ovation as they left the field after losing a preseason game because they're like, oh my gosh, we got hope, we got a quarterback and of course, it didn't exactly work out down there. But like, you know, let's face it, the preseason games sometimes kind of blend in. I would say the most memorable Broncos one though for me and most memorable Broncos preseason event that I've covered probably back in '02 2 in the preseason finale, the Broncos are playing Seattle and they have a kicker named Ola Kimron. He's not going to make the team because they've got Jason Elam. It's basically, he's in to kind of take some reps off of Elam's plate as he was getting into year 10, wanted to, you know, kind of save some of the swings on his leg. And this guy, he was, uh, I believe he was, um, I believe it was Swedish and he had a monster leg and he came out there and he drilled a 65 yard field goal right before halftime. And of course the crowd goes crazy. And it's um, at the time, the longest uh, field goal ever made in an NFL game, regular season or preseason, um, they cut him the next day, but what a moment that was.
2: Mace, uh, is it is it Mace's musings? What's your, your, your video for DenverSports.com that you do after the Broncos game? What's that called again?
3: There's no title to it. It's just kind of a post-game video. Okay. I mean, I, if, I'll call if you, look, if you guys want to come up with a title, I am – Open the suggestions. Mace's
1: meandering. You should do it while you're walking with your hands in your pocket, just like, just uh, chewing
2: a toothpick. I prefer Mace's musings. So let's go with Mace's musings for today. When you are posting your Mace's musings, what are you hoping to say into that camera that will then be played on denversports.com? The Broncos did what? Sean Payton accomplished
3: what on Friday night? Uh, Sean Payton got, um, Sean Payton saw some consistent play from his offense. He saw Russell Wilson and the receivers translate that timing to, uh, to to actually being out there in a game, and he saw that some of the players down the depth chart, the younger guys that have been doing well in camp were able to make it translate under the lights. I mean, a good example is uh, Jaleel McLaughlin, who – on a daily basis, we are seeing this young man make one explosive run out after another. He's got good vision, reads the holes, reads the creases as they, as they develop. And he's got a little bit of a kind of a little shoulder deep that he does that tends to catch some of the defenders off guard sometimes and allows him to, to turn up field. If we see that out there, full speed under the lights, then the Broncos may have a really intriguing uh, running back. But guy, if, if guys like McLaughlin, um, you know, if Marcus Haynes has made some plays in the past Russia down the depth chart, if you see some of those players who have flashed in, unexpe- maybe unexpectedly to the, to, to the average eye, but if you see those guys take what they've done in practice, Taylor Grimes would be another example, and translate it to actual uh, game conditions, then I think, uh, it's, it's, it's going to add another layer of intrigue because as we've seen over the years, Sean Payton is not afraid to keep, uh, an undrafted guy who's flashing over a higher draft pick or a veteran player.
1: Um, all right. So last question from us, Andrew. You can get out of here. Frank Clark, uh, uh, a late off-season acquisition with Super Bowl rings and pelts on the wall and an idea of how to develop a winning team. But he's been on, or, or be part of a winning team, but he's kind of been on a pitch count at practice. Um, how do you see Frank Clark's contribution to this team and maybe some of the guys behind him pushing him? Where are they stacking up so far?
3: Well, the second team right now, at least in terms of what's listed on depth chart, and Nick Benito and Jonathan Cooper looks pretty good because both of them have taken the next steps in their development. I mean, you're even seeing Benito, uh, even though if you run right at him, there are still some issues. You're still, you're seeing him uh, make some plays against the run. He really has nice, nice pursuits. Doesn't, doesn't quit on a play. Um, And Jonathan Cooper is just kind of, just, you know, playing with a lot of strength and, uh, and, and, and is is able to, it has shown a little bit more speed and, and burst. But with Frank Clark, I think what you're hoping, uh, first of all, you're hoping that playoff Frank Clark shows up earlier on in this process. I mean, last, last regular season was not great for him in Kansas City, but in January, he delivered. You want him to kind of come up big in those higher leverage situations. And perhaps that's going, and perhaps that's where if you keep him on a rep count even going into the season and say, okay, Let's make sure he's available when we need him most. Let's make sure he's out there on, th- on, on third and medium to third and long and that he's out there uh, for trying to close out an opponent uh, late in the game. That's that, that, I think, is going to be the key. The emergence of Benito and Cooper certainly helped that process out because they're showing that they may well be trustworthy players that you can have out there playing extensively, and then you can save Frank Clark to kind of uh, be, the, be that guy that uh, can flash his proven pass rush moves and hopefully close out an opponent.
1: Love it. That's great news for the Broncos defense. All right, Andrew, so you're getting on a flight today. Are you, are you flying with the team? Are you flying on your own? How's this going to go? And what are you wearing on the flight?
3: Everyone always wants to know what is Andrew wearing? I, I can't believe that they actually want to know that, but... Um... I'm wearing a, I'm wearing a hoodie and black shorts because uh, I get a, I'm wearing the hoodie because I get a little cold on the flight. You don't, you, you don't want anybody to know.
1: You don't want anybody to notice you. I
3: get it. You know, you want to go yeah. incognito. I, I, yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. So that'll be, that'll be me on the plane. Um, uh, the, the, the media flies on their own. We don't okay. fly with a team. So okay. it's just a regular old Southwest Airlines, Denver to, Denver to Phoenix for me on this one. And that's, that's okay. Guarantees me a window seat. I prefer a window seat. Yeah, what's your boarding group? Oh, I'm, a, I'm A-list. I'm always an A. Yeah, so. you are. You're I, an A-list in our heart as well, Andrew. Thank you for joining <laughs> us. Aww. Thanks,
1: Mace. My pleasure, guys. Have a good one. All right, there you go. Senior Broncos, Ryder, Denversports.com on the Johnson Auto Plaza hotline. All right, um, there's there's bad field conditions, guys. In this game, Sean Payton doesn't really care about that. What does Sean Payton care about? We'll do that and more in the morning mixtape <laughs> next. The Players Club welcomes you into the morning
0: mixtape with a look at the biggest stories in Denver sports. Here's Orlando, Chad,
1: and Nate. i out i In the city. Of Denver, yeah. yeah, yeah. Colorado knows how to party too, Chad. That's what we're doing here on a Thursday. When asked if the field conditions of tomorrow's game will impact who plays, Peyton simply answered, "No," but did expand a bit on his plan to check field conditions prior to the game.
0: Yeah, I mean, we'll go out as best we can ahead of the ahead of the game and get an idea of which shoes. They had trouble with the Super Bowl there. I don't know if it's the same field. I know they practiced there all during training camp. So, my experience with that field is it's always been a fast, firm track. May not always be green. There's you know because they're getting so much work on it, but it's always been a good firm surface that you can run on. But we'll pay attention to it when we get there and if we have to change what we're wearing, then it's part of the deal.
1: Yep, I played in Arizona several times. I never had a problem with the turf there, but um, clearly it was a problem in the Super Bowl last year. From the RamosLaw.com text line, chat, though, someone saying, who's saying the field is bad in AZ other than Kliss and you guys on the fan? Do you really think the Cardinals would be practicing on it every day if it was too bad to have a game,
2: Chad? That's a good point. That is, that is a good point. Uh, you know, Cliss put put that out, created a bit of a narrative there, um, and we, we we've jumped on it here. We, you you tie that with the injury, Achilles injury to the Cardinals player who slipped during practice. Um, considering we had a slip here that has caused some issues with Tim Patrick, um, had nothing to do with the turf, though. Had nothing to do with the turf, but it was a, he slipped a, a, as part of that injury. Life is dangerous, baby. Yeah. So, uh, well, yeah. Well, I suppose we ran with this a bit here. Um, But to the Texas point, you know, would they be willing to put their plays at risk in Arizona if it was that bad? So I think for Sean Payton to take a look and see what he, you know, see what he thinks and try to recommend some footwear to the guys. It should be a playable NFL field. I know the NFL is going to make efforts to make sure another game is never canceled like it was for the Hall of Fame game back in 2016.
1: Yeah, but when Sean Payton was asked, is it going to affect playing time? He said, listen, No. <laughs> stuffing expanding more on his expectations from the starters after they're done playing the game and on the sideline hanging out after or during tomorrow's game.
0: Yeah, that's that's a little bit more on what I was discussing the other day and all of a sudden that made national news. So, I think that it's important <laughs> I said it last night, it it may not be the most important game for a handful of players, but in some cases, it's the most important game in some players' life. And and so just that, you know, that respect for the game and that we're into the game, we're paying attention to who's in, and I think that's really important. You know, whoever's in the game, you know, you're, you're helping them when they come off to the sidelines. A lot of young players, some of them their first game, so that's the good part about it.
1: That is the good part about it because he's absolutely right. I've heard you talk about this, Chad. I heard Russell Wilson talk about this, about how your teammates are going through something that um, might be their last football game ever, and you want to respect that moment.
2: Absolutely you want to respect that moment. You want to be as good of a teammate as you can in that moment. So if you're eating hot dogs and laughing and joking and looking up in the stands and all that other craziness, you're not helping your your, your teammates. You're not helping your team. Help these guys out. Get these guys to realize maybe you're – You know, there's somebody in the the back of your room, if you're Justin Simmons, and there's a guy who's third or fourth on the depth chart. Come stand by me this whole first quarter, because guess what? Chances are all these plays are going to repeat. The offensive coordinator in Game 1 doesn't have 60 or 80 plays on the script. He's got about 20 plays he wants to work on over and over and over. So stand by me, young fellow. Let's watch these plays because when you get in the game, these same plays are going to show up again. So get yourself prepared for that. Let's walk and talk our way through it right now on the sidelines so you can hit the ground running when you get on the field. I've had those conversations as a player. I've had those same conversations as a coach. Help these guys out so when they get their NFL opportunity, they are best able to seize it
1: they got 90 guys on the team right now, 90, and 45 of them are going to suit up on game day on Sunday. So half of these dudes are not going to be playing uh, for your team on Sunday. Now, some of them are going to be active but not suited up. Some of them are going to be on the practice squad. There are 16 practice squad spots plus the 53. That's 69. 21 of these guys are not going to be around at all, and maybe more. Maybe they pluck some guys from other teams to come on the practice squad because Sean Payton's talked about that a lot about how whatever you're doing is being seen by 31 other teams. And you gotta, you gotta look at yourself as competing not just with the guys on this roster, but everybody in the league, which tells you that they are looking everywhere else in the league too, aren't they? Are they watching film of every single one of these preseason games everywhere? Do they have a beat on
2: every player in the league? Every player is on the GM's board. Every player in the league is on the board. Every player is ranked. So if we have an injury at whatever position it may be, and they want to find somebody, they can literally call up the next five guys ranked on the list who are currently on their couch or they think are going to be cut by somebody else and be prepared to bring those guys in when final cuts come down. So, yes, every player is watched. Every player is scouted. So
1: make sure that you take advantage of your moments, young fellas. I've been in that room where the coaches are saying, you know, uh, look, this may be the end of the line for some of you in this room, but there may be an opportunity for you elsewhere, and a lot of times they're absolutely right. All right, uh Vance Joseph had high praise for the edge rushers, a position that seemed like it was a position of need in the offseason. Where does this room rank for you, BJ? I tell you what, man, it's it's the best room I've had from one to six in a very long time. You know, so having a bunch of rushers with different traits has been
0: fun to watch and having a plan, you know, for each guy to get enough reps to be effective during the game is gonna be important for me. But um yeah, I mean having having Randy and Frank and and Coop and Benito, you know, and when Barron comes back, I mean that's a really good room. We've got two young guys breaking glass
2: also, so it's a good room.
1: Good room. Great to hear that from the defensive coordinator, VJ, but um how much of that is related to just the offensive line not being on the same page, learning a new system, being a little banged up, trying to get on you know, on the same page with one another.
2: I, I think there's something to be said for the uh underwhelming camp that the offensive line has had, allowed this edge group to stand out. But when we had questions and doubts about the edge group in the offseason it wasn't based on the talent in the room it was based on the availability of the players and randy gregory we've talked ad nauseum about his lack of availability during his career he looks great in training camp looks absolutely fantastic Baron Browning won't be available until maybe mid-season. So there's that health thing cropping up and availability cropping up there. Nick Benito, we knew he could rush the quarterback, but could he play the run well? He seems to have stepped that up. Jonathan Cooper has been a nice addition. And if I were to think about how this is all going to play out during the season, Jonathan Cooper is probably the first and second down guy. Nick Benito's more of the third down guy. Of course, Frank Clark will play a role in that as well. i see Marcus Haynes and Eric Patrick and Christopher Allen out there have some good plays and have some plays they probably won back as you would expect from young guys during training camp but i think vj's on track this is a talented group top to bottom but the question was never talent it was always going to be availability
1: availability and what are you going to do in the game situations when it's not the same team it's not the same calls it's not the same guys you don't know their tendencies they're going to get to cut it loose tomorrow night all right here is sean payton talking about the diversity in the tight end room and how he's going to use those guys
0: yeah good question the one thing interesting about this tight end group is that, man, there's some clear roles that you can see, strengths and weaknesses these players have. Adam's the one guy out here that he does a good job, solid job at blocking. He gives you some flexibility within the route tree. Chris hurts is someone that, you know, obviously we're comfortable throwing to, and yet, man, he, he's really good blocking the D-gap. And then, you know, Dulcich is someone that really can threat. So that you've got these different traits for different players. Look, we got to put together a depth chart, and then we got to give it to you guys, and then I got to answer questions about why'd you put him first. And so, when you track, this happens during the course of the year. When we play home games, we introduce the offense or the defense, and then it's it's such a multi personnel game anymore.
1: Such a multi personnel game anymore, Chad. Nothing to nothing to make of this depth chart. Or is Adam Troutman kind of emerging as the most complete uh, game ready tight end on this roster?
2: Well, like I talked about when we had Mace on, I I did a Mike McDaniels wormhole on YouTube last night. And one of the questions he was asked in this uh, montage of interviews was about the training camp depth chart. And he went on for literally six minutes about it's do I do I list a depth chart based on personnel groupings? Then, you know, I've got so many different starters. I could have 18 or 20 different starters, depending on. How is this working? Because if we go with four wides, that's a different set of starters than we go with two tight ends. Do we have two backs on the field? That's a different set of starters there. So I understand the pain this put, puts coaches through. List me one tight end, list me two receivers, list me two backs, and give me your depth chart. It's not the personnel package we're going to probably even open up most games with. So while we have this starter list, most games are going to be probably open up with three wides. So how does this all play and fit and work when I want to give the media something uh, that they so desperately want. That's then going to create controversy and conversation. And I think this tight end room conversation illustrates that because all these guys have a role to play. Who is truly the starter? I don't think it matters to Sean Payton. It's who we play in each personnel package that's most important.
1: But there's probably going to be three of them playing.
2: And it sounds like the three are Troutman, Manhurts, and Dulcich.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Where's? Where does <laughs> Yeah, where does Albert O fit in there? I'll tell you what. For Albert O, these next three games are really, really important for him. I mean, they couldn't be more important. They, his fate might already be sealed here, but if he wants a job in the NFL, these next three games, he's got to make an impression. He does. And he's going to have a chance as well to get some playing time, so hopefully he can take advantage of that. All right, you remember back in the day... Um, when Drew Locke was the quarterback of this football team. and Those, The glory days. Yeah, and they, they get to the line of scrimmage with like seven seconds left on the play clock. And guys would be trying to frantically get the motion done and be three, two, one. And they snap the ball with one second left. I hate Drew Locke. That made it pretty easy on you defensive players, didn't it? It sure did. Why is tempo important? Why is it important to keep time on the clock when you step to the line of scrimmage? That's next.